All right, welcome back. It is, we skipped last week, so we kind of threw it off. I feel like I haven't seen you guys in so long, but I want to start off with something that I think is really interesting. And we, we've seen it a lot in the past few weeks, especially with Joe Rogan. It's all anyone can talk about. But like, one of the big quotes that I've seen is, be so big that it's really cool to hate you. And we just off air were just talking about how Joey <laughs> recently picked up <laughs> a thing for a Doja Cat, the artist. And Joey, you, you want to tell you you want you want to talk about how that happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll break it down. So, so first off, I'm Doja Cat's number one fan right now. If anyone knows her or she hears this, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, we we repeat the email. I won't give out my personal email, but our feel good finance email. Reach out, um, <laughs> say what's up, Doja. Uh, second off. Yeah, you know, my girlfriend is not a Doja Cat fan. She rather hates her, some would say, finds her insufferable. Uh, so I, I began listening to Doja Cat's music. Um, you know, it started out with the bangers, like uh, Juicy. That's a classic. Um, and then we, we um, it, it developed into some other ones. There's what, Kiss Me More. Uh, there's one she does with Gucci. Um, and, you know, so now, now I'm a full-blown Doja Cat fan. Uh, say So, another classic of hers. And uh, my girlfriend hates it. Anytime I put it on, drives her crazy. She makes me turn it off. What well, is not allowed to be listened to in vehicles? Like it gets shut off immediately. I try. I try every time we're on a car ride together. I always go for the say so. Uh, listen, that's probably one of my favorite songs of hers right now. Gets shut off immediately. Yeah, but I. Um, I think that's really important because, like, I think when someone else really just absolutely hates something for no good reason, it's kind of fun to like accidentally like it you see it and you're like oh wait a minute i kind of like i like this not only because i like it but because you dislike it so much <laughs> actually i've found a taken a liking to doja cat so much that i i've started playing fortnite again which you know that's a completely other oh, topic no. you know it's the bane of video games and uh but I've, I've taken up the the fortnite again and they have an emote where you can do the emote and it plays Doja Cat's uh, song Say So and you do the little dance and, and she does the roll and so I bought the emote just to play it and I probably emote, I don't know, multiple times a game. My friends probably hate me now that I play Fortnite with for it, but. That's like eight memes in one. I don't even know what to do with that. Maybe we're just toxic humans and we do this. <laughs> I think everyone is at this point. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big Twitter guy. So like, you open up Twitter, and this happens all the time. Is you can like you can go under any polarizing character on the planet, grab literally anyone, and open up anything they say, ever. And there's going to be about 500 comments, and 250 of those are going to be, oh my god, I hate this so much. And the other 250 are probably not going to be, oh, I agree with this so much. It's going to be, oh my god, it's so funny how much people hate you. That's that's what it is. That's fair. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. Did you see, uh, since we're on the topic of, you know, Rogan being canceled and, and all everyone hating one another, um, did you see the impromptu interview Dave Portnoy did with uh, these three brothers called the Midas Brothers or whatever last night? No, but he's definitely a polarizing character, and he's he can definitely be kind of an asshole, even though I, I enjoy that he sticks up for himself at every single turn. I like that a lot, but, man, yeah, Dave's a tough character. So oh, what do, yeah. What do you do? These... these well, he, he's been on a rant lately, you know, about a couple hit pieces that were written about him. And uh, he keeps giving these anyone that will listen and offer. He says, you come on my podcast. Uh, I get to record video and audio. You get to record video and audio. Use it however you want. I just want to have an open conversation. Well, there these three brothers finally fell for it. They have a media outlet called the Midas Touch, I think is what it's called, because uh, their last name is Midas. 
And these are three powerhouses. The one brother is Ellen DeGeneres' uh, PR person. Wow. The other brother is the guy who represented Colin Kaepernick against the NFL. Jeez. And the other brother uh, has ties to that world as well. I can't remember off the top of my head how he ties into the whole media world. But essentially, all three of them are a part of uh, a super PAC, which is a political action committee. And they're allowed to raise money for uh, political purposes. And uh, they can spend money for political purposes. And they're left wing. Uh, I know we don't like to get into politics, but they raise, I think they raised $4 billion last year as a super PAC, it said. It's nothing to sneeze um, at. Yeah. So Dave called him out on, they published a video of Joe Rogan saying the N word. I think it was like seven minutes long. And uh, Portnoy went on there and was essentially like, how come you won't publish the video of Howard Stern doing it. Why is it just Joe Rogan getting attacked? And I don't know. Not a lot came of it because it just ultimately was 45 minutes of four grown men screaming at each other about how each other was wrong. But it just uh, it just made me think how, you know, people just like to hate on other people uh, for fun. Yeah, but that world just eats itself alive. It's not sustainable and it's not good in any way. It's literally a civil war waiting to happen within the online community. It's like it just kind of burns itself out. So much negative oh. energy always burns itself out. And the rest of us who are over here trying to talk about things that matter and build stuff, we're still standing and we're still doing stuff. So that's, I mean, you know, I like to preach about like the, like the blockchain world and the Web3 community and all that stuff. And the reason those communities are so much fun is because they actually get stuff done. They don't get caught up in like the he said, she said, oh, you said this in the past. It's like a, haha, oh, that's funny. Yeah, sorry I said that. All right, uh, let's get back to building stuff. Exactly. Yeah. There was nothing productive that came out of this 45 minute interview. I actually got dumber from listening to it. And I don't <laughs> think I learned anything because it was literally four grown men screaming at each other. Yeah, there were points where it was inaudible. And I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is nothing productive came of it. It made them money, though. I mean, like it's because oh, they get yeah. views because people want to see that polarizing content. I mean, like you like the show Big Brother, right? Oh, yes. I'm what some might call a big brother savant. Yeah, everyone has their piece of trash TV that they hate to admit it. Mine is like anything Gordon Ramsay touches. I love oh, anything oh, he does. Yeah, well, he's, he is trash TV because he's fun to watch. It's fun to watch him yell at people that maybe don't deserve it as much. But I love it. You can't get enough of it because it's interesting. So everyone's got their piece of trash TV that they're pra trash media, I guess, that they like to enjoy. And it's just sucks that it makes so much money <laughs> because that means it's technically providing value but it just doesn't oh yeah that's a fair point because big brother is not productive in any way i learned no. it's literally putting 16 people in a house they're all from different walks of life and they just bicker it's supposed to be a microcosm of america and i guess in a way it really is because they could spend the the three months they're in there doing something productive and building something really cool but instead it's just bickering he said she said and uh, it gets nasty sometimes yeah and like the more you listen to him you think holy cow these people are not very smart and they just are not <laughs> giving anything back to us yeah yeah that's why survivors better in some ways because they actually uh at least in the earlier seasons they they like build shelters and have kitchens and i don't know it's pretty fun to watch what they can do uh i know in recent seasons they've kind of uh de devolved de-evolved into uh more of a big brother-esque show but the first five ten seasons is a lot of fun to watch matt what's your trash tv uh, probably the dumb like first responder tv shows like all the different police and firemen shows I eat them up for some reason. So all of ours are like perfectly on 
on key. <laughs> it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I used to love trash food TV, but like there aren't any like good trash food TV anymore that like I really enjoy. No, no. And after I mean, Gordon's just on season twenty-five of whatever of his ten shows that he's doing, and it's all the same thing over and over. Well, yep. either way. He started uh he just started a new show called next level chef and it is i mean it's it's essentially master chef except now a third of them get the best kitchen in the world a third get a mediocre kitchen and a third get the worst kitchen in the world and it's like what you make so all right you brought up another really good point the reason that a lot of those shows i think it's so popular is because there's real tangible results from going on there and winning and I, the YouTubers take a big piece out of this too, because like, think about Mr. Beast, who's like one of the largest YouTubers on the planet. Everyone loves him. But at the end of every single video, someone wins something. There's some massive cash prize for doing some stupid, goofy game just with his friends. Or, I mean, he gives away houses and Teslas and millions of dollars at a time because he can, because he pulls in that much revenue. But that in itself makes it interesting to watch because you're living through the character. So that's like, I think that's something that the YouTube community has learned really, really well for that from trash tv yeah you're almost selling a dream is uh is how i like to see like you, oh, yeah. you want to you're rooting for them you're rooting for them to achieve that dream that they don't have and you know picturing that as being yourself yeah no, i agree and you will you totally live through them but either way speaking of fun twitter twitter interactions it was uh I, you guys know i like uh, greg eisenberg and sahil bloom and um it was greg's birthday the other day so i wished him happy birthday on twitter and he replied to me and said thanks john so you know what that made my day that really made my day so look this is a content creator who knows what he's doing he's replying to little guys like me and he's making my day just with that quick little two seconds so you know my endorphins are way up right now and there's you can't pull me down Make sure it wasn't a fake account like what happened to me and Trong. <laughs> yeah, that was no, it was a big old big old blue check mark next to it. I made sure. I made sure. But oh I guess we get we could play off of that one. So Matt, you you just sent me uh Alex Lieberman is the um <clears throat> the guy who runs Morning Brew. I don't know his exact job. I don't know if he's a CEO or whatnot, but it just says executive chairman within his profile. Either way, he he tweeted out a job listing to Twitter uh looking for a Twitter savant and what were the hang on let me pull up the exact thing that you sent me oh yeah he said one fourth business whiz one fourth meme maker one fourth shit poster which is just basically a troll and one fourth news obsessive so basically a unicorn if you're that unicorn or you know that unicorn please apply below i think it's hilarious and that brings up a really really good point that i actually will shamelessly plug that i wrote about in my last article that i put up which is that Understanding meme culture and community building is beyond essential to companies nowadays. It's more important than what college you went to. It's more important than what you can do in Excel. It's better than all of these because if you can connect with the community, you can bring customers in. Bringing customers in leads to revenue. Revenue drives companies, right? Yes. Well, I all right. I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but my whole point was if you're a young person and you just don't know what you want to do and you're not particularly good at anything, which Everyone's good at something, but the things that we value don't always line up with what we're good at. You're not going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. You need to start working right now on understanding meme culture, community building, how to bring people together, how to interact, how to draw people to a platform. That's what you need to be understanding, and you will always, always have a high-paying job. I guarantee it. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just simply agree. <laughs> Thanks. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad I'm just reading your mind here. <laughs> 
Well, there was, all right, one more Twitter thing, and then I'll hop off the Twitter train because I've been on it for a while. There was a, a fun thread I saw about how everyone kind of jokes that there's like this little group of people that kind of run the fintech and DeFi corner of Twitter and that they all have a group chat and talk about each other. Uh, but it's actually true. It's, it's like 100% true. There's maybe 20 of them, and they all kind of run their own little sector and do their own thing. And, I mean, it's not hard to break into or to be one of them. Like, you literally just have to reply to pretty much everything they do and be valuable and don't be a troll and, like, provide useful information, write articles, send stuff in. It's really cool. Like, it, it just kind of, like, it feels like a way out. It's awesome. I love it. I mean, yeah, and it's I mean, super easy too. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're easy to get. You, I mean, you've seen it too because I send you stuff, and we all we kind of cross corners of Twitter a little bit, but we definitely have our own separate corners. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it just takes reaching out to someone and like providing minimal value, like, and you can be join this whole community and be someone who like is like a major key player in it is like pretty amazing and interesting. Yeah, it's awesome. Have you ever read the book How to Make Friends and Influence People? No, I kind of eschewed that book just because, it, I don't know, just the title. Like, I was like, okay, I'm yeah. not for this. Yeah, it, well, it sounds like one of those kind of, I, I, know what you're, I know where you're going with it, but I think it's a fantastic book. It's pretty, I mean, the premise of the entire book, I can summarize it in two sentences, is be a really good person, be very interested in other people, and they will become interested in you. Like, just be a genuine, good human being, and you'll find success. And it's true. And it was written a long time ago, so when he talks about, if you want to get in front of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or if you need to find someone really important, back then you'd obviously write a letter. And you had to make that letter completely about them. You had to make it, I understand your company, I understand your wants, your needs, what would improve your life. And it would be very, very, very psychoactive of like, hey, look, I'm useful, acknowledge me, let's have a meeting. Nowadays, you can straight up tweet at Jeff Bezos all day, every day, and figure out what he wants, and then probably get in touch with someone at Amazon. It's never been easier yeah, I definitely agree I mean the ability for us to reach out to people that are so far out of our particular class that we are in whether it be like working class middle class whatever you can just in five seconds reach out and you might get a reply from a multi-billionaire yep who knows with an iPhone you can literally transcend classes but I mean it's not easy <laughs> there's nothing easy about it either way all right let's move on from this Let's see, where do we want to go? Let's start. Do you guys want to do the Peloton one? <clears throat> sure. I thought that'd be fun. Uh, people, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, Matt, I know you've seen this, Joey, I don't know if you have, but there's a couple of really big companies talking about taking over Pel uh, Peloton. Amazon and Nike are like the two really big names. There's no, there's no guarantee that any of these mergers is gonna happen. Nobody really knows. But I, I, I thought it was super interesting because I mean, Joey, you're a Peloton fan. You guys have one. And it's a company that I'm, I was never really huge on. It was a great pandemic fad, but it has so much potential. Yeah, um, I don't, it's, it's just so tough to see. I mean, I could definitely see Amazon and Nike taking it over, but my thought is, would they let them continue to operate, you know, as is, and you just slap a Nike symbol on it? Or, or do, you, do you keep the P and just, because, Honestly, their business is already run flawlessly. I think um, they have their influencers, they have their their um, the people that run their workouts, their trainers. I guess is what you could call them. Their whole line of business. They're successful. Um, 
would you really want a giant Amazon or Nike to come in and change things up? I mean, well, they don't cool make out. a ton of money, so that's why they're kind of talking about it. They're like, we want to be acquired by someone who can supercharge the business. <clears throat> yeah, that was my argument for this: is that like they need to fix their sales and marketing scheme, and like because they both price themselves as a luxury item and then added a subscription service that's required to still use the item on top of that. So you've priced yourself very, very high and they really need to fix it where they either sell at a lower price point and keep the subscription and that'll bring in a whole lot more people or they need to keep the high cost and cut the subscription because you're, if you're already paying $1,500 for a, for a recumbent bike, they really don't need to be raking in $40 a month for you to be pedaling on it with whatever like uh, people there are doing the shows for it. I agree. Mm -hmm. It prices a lot of people out of the market. So say we're Technomental Group and we have enough money to pursue a merger acquisition with Peloton. What the heck is our strategy? I know I have my thoughts. <clears throat> that's where that's what I was wondering there because I don't I don't know what Nike or Amazon strategy would be. I do know that Peloton already has a uh, I don't know what it is like a crossover with Adidas. Like Adidas and Peloton uh, came together and they made their own. Adidas has their own line of Peloton gear. Like they you can buy Adidas shoes that work with the Peloton or like Adidas Peloton shirts, Adidas Peloton shorts, but. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what Amazon or Nike strategy would be. All right, here's mine. Forget the whole mass-produced thing. It doesn't make any sense. Make this specifically for sports training, and then you're going to sell it to businesses, you're going to sell it to gyms, you're going to sell it to high-end fitness places that are going to use it consistently. Instead of trying to play the let's capture the 80% of the market 20% of the time thing, use the 80-20 use the rule how it was supposed to be. 20% of your market 80% of the time. The people who use it are fanatics about it. Sell it to Orange Theory Fitness, something like that. LA Fitness, one of those places where the people who come there come there religiously every single day. They have their specific set of weights there. They have their specific bike. That's your target audience. It's not Joe Frangioni up in Pittsburgh who hops on it once a week. I think that was like the exact opposite point and audience they're trying to reach. The whole point was is that I could do everything that I wanted to do in a cycling class at home. You're right. I mean, there's no real point for us to put a fancy bike with a TV screen on it in a cycling gym because you have the coach there. You don't really need to have the TV screen. And then outside of that, you could get a much more affordable bike. That's why like, I think they just need to fix whether they cut the price and keep the subscription or keep it high and cut the subscription. Fine, all right, I'll bite that. But that was the 2020 strategy when everyone was stuck at home. Now things are open again, you can actually go to a gym or you can go outside and do whatever you want. So where do you go from there? I mean, I still think there's a huge market for people wanting to work out at home. And I think the fact that they added the little chat room that's in there and the fact that you have a coach that's seemingly talking to you means that you get the sense of being in a gym and that motivation from it. And so I think I think that fixed a lot of issues with typical at home gyms where you have your weights or whatever. And like you don't really feel like working out as much because you don't have the other people around you doing the same. But you get that sense with the Peloton. So I think they need to stick with that home thing and just really fix how they're doing marketing and sales such that it like it hits a bigger uh, slice of the pie. Yeah, I agree with Matt because I, th I think a large portion of their audience is people that don't want to leave their house. Like I know like Maddie's been getting up at 5 a.m. my girlfriend to ride the Peloton before work and she doesn't want to drive 
I don't know, 20 minutes to a gym to then Peloton for 45 minutes to an hour, then drive 20 minutes home. And like that cuts out 40 minutes of her whole morning routine right there, just in transit, uh, walking in, getting changed in the locker room, et cetera, et cetera, when she can just walk down to our basement, hop on. And I know a lot of people who live in those more urban areas like Manhattan uh, or LA, they, they have bikes as well. Like uh, one of my old sales managers when I worked at FedEx, she has a Peloton and she lives in New York City. And, uh, and I, I mean, I don't know why that affects it, but I just know in those condensed areas, you see a lot of them. No, I'd agree with that. It makes sense. You're, well, you're conserving space because you're going to have a really small apartment in general if you probably live out there because it's expensive as hell. All right. I'd, I'd bite on all three of those, actually. So uh, how about you let us know? Submissions.feelgoodfinance at gmail.com. I would love to hear what anyone else thinks because... I actually, I actually still think that the shift it would work, but both of you, I think, also have a great point. And that's the beauty of business, right? All right. All right. So, who do you think would do it better, Nike or Amazon? Oh, out of those two, oh, you put me on the line here. Neither. I think a celebrity needs to come in and turn it into something completely different and go from there. But Kevin Hart's gonna take over doing his uh, fitness uh, thing that he started now. Oh, Fabletics! I actually think Fabletics would be a perfect takeover for that. They would do really well. The Rock's whole, um, his whole like bull bull themed brand that'd be great. Dan Bilzerian could probably buy it. Uh, he would in, undoubtedly make money off of it. That's Ryan Reynolds needs to buy it and then do the whole common man undersell thing like mid mobile and be like, just get a Peloton, be your average Joe. Yeah. He <laughs> like, I wake up and I just ride my Peloton. Ah, that that would be a huge shift from from like a like a value or like a like a value luxury good into a Ryan Reynolds uh, discount model. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. I don't know. That's that's a that's a fun idea. I kinda like that. All right. Well, either way, um so I also wanted to do the merger with um, Frontier and Spirit Airlines. Have you guys seen that? No. <laughs> yeah, so like the two cheapest airlines on the planet are um, Frontier is buying Spirit, so they're not buying each other, but they're merging together. Uh, they're buying it for $6.6 billion, which, I mean, for an airline, doesn't seem like that much with all the assets. So I was like, I was joking. I was like, even <laughs> they even did the merger for a, for a discount and discount flight. I thought it was really funny. But, I mean, it's... It makes sense. They're just building the Walmart of air travel. It's just going to be this giant conglomerate of super cheap flights that can go anywhere. It just blows my mind that you can buy Spirit Airlines, a company that has jumbo jets, for less than Activision. Yeah, that's well, what I was about to significantly say. Significantly like less, like a lot. A tenth of the price. Bungie was almost than more than than that airline that owns jumbo jets, and Bungie's just a little studio with one major AAA game out right now. So this speaks to a great topic, Matt. I don't know if you want to go into it. I really, I, if you want to write your article, you can do that too. But I, I thought what you talked about down low is fantastic, and the growth of the video game streaming esports industry has just been absolutely phenomenal and people have doubted it every single step of the way. Like every single year people say, there's too much, it doesn't make any sense, it's not real, how could you do that? And then it doubles and triples in size every few years and it has not slowed down. It's like only gotten faster. So why are valuations so high? I don't know. People keep pouring into it. Yeah, well, the ones that are exploding things they're legitimate studios to some degree i mean some of them are 
small guys working out of their house making these indie games or other digital media. I expanded to that. Like same with YouTube creators and same with people that are making music. Some are legitimate people. Some are just people doing it out of their house for fun. But like for the most part, 90% of the pie is going to the big AAA players. And it's just 10% that are the ones that like the 10% that get the money or the ones that get 10% of the money make up 90% of the market. And that is what's booming. And we talked about this before is because they make streamable games. They make games that attract attention, just like the NFL and the NBA. They're competitions. They're just like super, super basic five on five competitions. And I'd really love to get plugged into any of these cool indie game communities because I'm pretty plugged into the indie music community and like uh, TikTok, that type of thing. I don't care about it. It's a waste of time. But YouTube too. But indie games, I would love to get into some of these cool like niche video games that are like legitimately good. They're fun to play and they're not like the ones on your phone where like you're getting slammed with an ad every 30 seconds when you want to play it. Like it's legitimately fun to play. I uh, I got to introduce you to this app. I think that could help you connect with these people. It's it's the bird app. It's this little blue this little blue app with a white bird on it. You got you got to go find. It. I don't remember the name of it, but that uh, that would probably be a good place to start. Yeah, I need to get into that community because I think it'd be fun. Like I think there's a whole lot of people out there that are creating new and interesting games. I thoroughly enjoy games when I'm trying to relax and do things where I can turn my brain off. You should use and this I feel one. like that's a great place for it. But like outside of the Outside of the main AAA players, there's probably like 10 of them or so. Like, it's just so massive that it's wild to try to jump into it. Right, and it have wouldn't you, be any fun. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Joey. I was say, have you heard of the game Valheim? I've heard of it, and it blew up. So that one's yeah. kind of like, but that was like a small, like, what, 20-person studio or something that made it? It was really small. Yeah, real tiny, and it came out, I think their one-year anniversary was just the other day, and I know, uh, I, I actually downloaded it and played it on my PC a little bit. I love it. But uh, but I don't know. That's that's just a fun indie game. But then you look at some of these other indie games that exploded in the past year too. I know Among Us was one that that hit the mainstreams, and now I mean, shit, they're coming out on Xbox, PlayStation, VR. Even they have a VR version for the Oculus of Among Us coming out. And then you also have uh, Splitgate. I don't know if you guys have heard of, but that was another fun one there for a couple weeks too that blew up, and it was like eight person studio or three person studio. So. It's always fun to see those little studios get the uh, their few minutes of fame. I actually played Splitgate the first week or two that it came out. It like just released, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cute, fun." I, you know, I only have like an hour after work and night, or you know, hour after everything gets done before bedtime. And I sit there, and I'm like, "Okay, well, you know, I only play video games maybe two nights out of my week if I'm lucky." So I get there and I sit down. I'm like, "Oh, this is great." I played it the next night. I said, "This is fantastic. I'm having so much fun." I'm the only person here who's any decent at video games. That means everyone here still sucks. Great. Jump back in two weeks later after not touching it, everyone's a pro. Every single person. <laughs> it was miserable, did not have a good time. And I said, all right, well, this one's ruined. On to the next one. Yeah, I had a similar situation there. For anyone listening out there that hasn't tried it, Splitgate is essentially if you take the game Portal. Uh, most people know what Portal is if you don't go look it up. Uh, and you mix it with Halo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah it, it's just a... It's a Five on or a four on four shooter with a twist. That's that's what they all are. But they're fun. They're easy competition. Anyone can jump in except when you play it a few times and it starts matching with the pros. Grumble, grumble, grumble. But like you way. said, John, we need the uh, the dad gamers ranked play where like if you only play a few hours a week, it tosses you in there with other dad gamers and you just 
have a good time, but you start doing too good and it boots you out up into the general population and <laughs> you can have a... I actually think that that's going to become a thing soon enough. I Well, there already is like a small population of that. I follow a couple of Instagram and Twitter pages that do that. It's like the dad gaming is basically what it is. And it's just, it's guys that have families or they have full-time jobs or they work all the time. They only get to play video games a little bit, so they're not very good at them. So when they jump in, they don't really want like a hard-pressed competition. They kind of just want to play a few games, get a couple laughs off, and maybe do like one or two really cool things. That's it. I think it's a great idea. And I think as our generation approaches their 30s and enters their 30s and 40s, I 100% think that that is going to be the mainstream of video games. Because everyone's going to want to be a part of it. But the mainstream streamers are not going to be allowed in because they're too good. And there's going to have to be... I don't know, blockchain-esque barriers that block them out and say, ah, I know your IP address is connected to this wallet. You can't be in here. Because otherwise, they're going to come in and just do it to be trolls, and we don't want those people in there. It's not any fun, and it ruins the rest of us who are trying to put the world back together. <laughs> ah, enough old man grumbling. Okay, all right. So I wanted to follow up on Toucan because that was a great recommendation. I've been actually really enjoying it. it uh, it's worked on my browser, and uh, for reference, that's a company we talked about the last time we were on which is a plugin to a Google Chrome browser. And what it does is it replaces keywords, basically just on any website you're, on, you're using on your browser with Spanish, Spanish words that translate directly in. And you can hover over it and see what they translate to. But the key is that the context of the words around it make it so that you can pretty much figure out what the word means and then your brain makes that connection. It's like, oh, oh, that means that I figured that out by context clues and now I remember that word. Oh, and that's what it actually translates to. It's really cool. I've been enjoying it a ton and icing on the cake, which I always think is just, a, it's, it's like the silver to gold standard for small new companies is you get a, a semi, it's not actually, but I call it a personalized email from the CEO after like a week of using it. It says, hey, look, this is my name. Here's my email. You can reach me anytime. Please let me know if you like the platform. What do you like? What would you change about it? Um, all the best. Thank you so much. That is huge. If you're a small company, every single small company should do that. Even if it's an automated system, great way to reach out and do that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm super pleased. Seriously, go look up and download Toucan now, and I hope you enjoy it. It's wonderful. But that is my, that is my shameless plug. Second shameless plug of the episode, actually. We should try to have him on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually meant to, I was going to reach out to her and say, hey, look, I like your product so much. Would you like to talk about in our show? You know, we really don't have very many listeners, but who cares? It'd still be fun, right? So you guys want me to do that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That'd be fun. I'll do it. I think it'd be a great time. I think her name's Allison. I don't know. Either way, that'd be great. And that puts us on to, let's see, what else do we have to do? I have a short story for you guys if you're interested. Absolutely. So one of the big problems that we've been running into recently and more and more is that permits, especially building permits in populated states, Texas, Florida, California, New York, which are four very different states, but heavily populated states in which there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff happening, get pushed out further and further and they get so bureaucratized that it's just a pain to get anything done nowadays. And so our favorite internet psychopath, Elon Musk, I, I heard a fun story. I was actually, I was out with a, I was out with a person that we were working on a project together and he was telling me this story. It's like, you know, it was, it was to the theme of that everyone is leaving California because California overcomplicates literally everything, which is 
fine, I know people love California, but regardless. So when Elon was like, hey, I'm sick of this stupid state. They're not letting me place my stupid gigafactory on this stupid piece of land that I want to do. I'm going to go over to Nevada, which is right next door. He walked into Reno, which is a much smaller city than L.A., and I pretty much walked up to the local planning commission and said, hey, I want to put a gigafactory there. And the guy looked at him, beamed at him and said, can we start tomorrow? <laughs> I thought that was great. And he was like, really? They to have him moving in. The amount of jobs it would create in Nevada. Uh-huh. Exactly. That's the correct line of thinking. So I think he did end up putting it in around 2017, something like that. But I, I just thought that was great. It was, yeah, it was like a direct quote pretty much of like, can we start tomorrow? <laughs> it's like the chief tech officer of like Apple coming over to one of these like little mini indie game creators and be like, hey, I'd love to work for y'all. And of course they're going to say, yes, let's do it immediately. Yeah, I'm, I'm it's yours. The same premise. <laughs> it is, as opposed to having to like fight up Blizzard or Sony or like one of those giant chains. Oh, exactly. what a nightmare. Yeah. Over bureaucratizing your company is a massive danger, but enough on that. Okay, all right. Let's see what else do we have to do. We have to clean up a couple. Uh, all right, Emerging Tech Brew had an awesome article today, which is Tuesday, or yeah, it'll be Tuesday when it was releases. So it came out on Monday, and they called it the Climate Change Catch Twenty Two, which is kind of a tongue twister, a little bit sorta. And it was talking about how we're seeing this really interesting phenomenon of we need to basically spend more to make our clean energy alternatives and our clean environmental materials viable. We, so we have to spend more money. We have to basically devote more resources to making that happen. No one really wants to do that because it's easier to do the cheaper one that's just a little bit dirtier. And the problem is typically in a capitalist environment, the item that costs more is better, right? But in this case, there's a great quote I found. Like I said, clean cement is clean cement doesn't necessarily build a building better than dirty cement. So there's the problem we've run into is that having to spend the extra cash to get clean cement or clean bricks or clean anything doesn't make it structurally more structurally sound or more useful. In a lot of cases, it actually makes it worse off. So <laughs> the our, our capitalist environment, which, you know, I'm a capitalist, huge fan of it. I think it's the best economic system we have in existence right now until we figure something else out. But that way of thinking doesn't allow for more expensive uses that do less. It just doesn't work out in a balance sheet or a pro forma or anything. So it's fun trying to figure this out. I got one more big quote that says it better than I can, and I'll shut up for a while and get your thoughts on it. So the quote was, capitalism normally only transitions when things are better or cheaper. And right now, in some things, we're actually trying to transition to things that are less effective and more expensive. And there's just no natural mechanism to do that in a capitalist environment. That's a much better way of summarizing what I was saying. Yeah, I agree. But I also think that there's plenty of companies and they're not anywhere as huge as the main players, but they make lots of money just by doing things the right way. They, they slap the green label on things so that way they've done things the right way the whole way. That's just like organic foods. You pay more because it wasn't done with pesticides. It wasn't done the dirty way, but, and people were willing to do that, but you just have to use all this good climate change tech as your like whole marketing scheme. And I feel like 
we haven't reached the point where, like you said, it's going to branch out and hit the main players because it is more expensive and less efficient. Sure. Or devil's advocate over here, you could be a massive company and say, look, we're basically just going to fulfill the ESG initiatives, have a super diverse board, and all of a sudden our company is technically a, a super green social justice warrior company, but it's not at all. And they're still pumping fumes into the sky and filling our food with GMOs and all that. Just why I, I just buy up the little uh, the little tickets of CO two that sucked up by another company. Yeah, yeah, they they buy the uh, the carbon credits that are making me money by owning the crane shares account. All right, the next one I'm super interested in, Matt. You've got all of this, and I've been waiting to hear about it for all day. All right, so Moderna, who's your favorite or not so favorite COVID vaccine person? Uh, they've been out there. Uh, and they've used the same tech that they used to create the COVID vaccine to create a HIV vaccine. They're currently in phase one trials, which means there are 56 lucky, healthy people that are having this vaccine tested on, uh, tested on them to see if it can prevent uh, the transmission of HIV. So was, is Magic Johnson a major shareholder here? <laughs> I do not know, but I, I don't think it's really the point. I mean, vaccines are to limit you getting it from someone else. If you already have it, uh, mm, yeah, you're probably not going to help. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't know. That's pretty exciting. It feels like it's like the first time something like this has ever really happened, though. I feel like we get really good HIV AIDS news every two to three years, and then we just forget about it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of stalls because the way it works is, is really hard. And then, like, once it's in someone, you really can't do all that much. It's pretty much just supportive care because it incorporates into people's cells and then like it's impossible to do anything with that. But with the mRNA tech that came out with the COVID vaccine, like we were able to do a whole lot more. And I think we're going to have a whole lot more vaccines for things that we didn't have in the past because of this. I mean, the, the tech for having an mRNA vaccine came out in the 90s. We learned this in my classes this past week. And so it's been around for forever, but it's one of those things where like it was really expensive to come up with and it's really expensive to do more research with. So they didn't really do anything more or new with it for a while. And then the pandemic came, they got a whole bunch of money and they're like, okay, now we can do things. So once they rolled out the COVID one, they're like, okay, this is, we know what we're doing. This isn't all that difficult. Now we're going to roll it into HIV and assume other things that don't necessarily have vaccines. It's a pretty nice silver lining to uh, 2020. Yeah, it seems like there's always good things that do come out of the bad things. So Yeah, well, you know, it pushes certain technology that we would have never worked on forward if all the times were good, right? Right. I mean, it, every time we do have one of these big scenarios where we have, like, either a depression or a pandemic or anything, it forces money into different areas that weren't necessarily funded before, and that causes a big boom in new places that solve a whole lot of problems that weren't tackled previously. Or it causes a ginormous, massive shift in how we handle our money. Ahem, ahem, ahem. Worth mentioning. Although, uh, no, I, I do think that's incredibly interesting. And that'll be really fun. So, like, when does when does news for that come out? Is that like a like a summer kind of thing? What, of whether or not it works? Yeah, because don't these things take forever? They do take forever. So it's in phase one, and you have to go to through three phases before it gets released to the general population. So phase one is basically they're testing it on healthy people without any issues. And then it's just like a small group. And then like phase two is they start testing on people with issues. And then phase three, it's like 
pretty much everyone they get a much larger broader group to see like how it really works and if there's any like issues then it gets released to the population and phase four is just like it's like post-marketing uh research essentially means that now that we've released this vaccine to like pretty much the entire world we're seeing what are like the long-term effects what are the things that happen in one percent of the population all the little tiny things that go at the bottom of the medicine news commercials where it's like this may be affected with yeah all those things that's what they find out in phase four and they speed up the text by like times five Mm -hmm. so when do they start making money i need to know when to place my call options (laughs) i can't really say not financial advice how things work out (laughs) it could be a long while and it could be a short while it just totally depends on like if there's any bumps along the way cool i'm gonna buy moderna july call options and just see what happens that'd be a great birthday present wouldn't that (laughs) <laughs> or just buy it right now just buy some stock and just wait and sit on it because it's going to grow if things keep going well it hits phase two grows even more phase three you can just sell yeah but i want to like gamble for funsies mm. <laughs> you enjoying your gambling <laughs> I, it's in the family blood apparently speaking of which joey how's your racehorse doing Oh, she's doing all right. Yeah, we we classed up. We won too many races. I I took like first place two races in a row and a third place here and there. We were class four. And and what it is, you know, your horse, you race in your class. Well, you start winning too many races, you get classed up. So I got bumped up to class three. And there's a whole strategy on how to win and then lose like enough to stay in your class because you don't want to class up. Like, uh, for instance, my horse will win a fair amount of the time in class four, but since I classed up to class three, now I'm not really winning as much. So it's not really a good thing. So I got to start losing to class down based on their point system. And it not, that's getting in the weeds, but long story short, she's good. We can breed her in two days. I plan on breeding her and then selling her. Uh, got a couple more offers on OpenSea for her. Highest one was like a couple hundred dollars, which is good because I bought her for 80. Um, but I am planning on trying to sell her for 0.5 ETH here after I breed her. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, just list it really flipping high. You have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm, yep, and then uh, they'll reach, people will reach out, try to bargain me down. I don't know, we'll see, but I think I got enough wins with her, and uh, she has a nice enough record right now to where I can uh, show some value and hopefully get something decent in return for her. Do you get to see the transactions that happen on that platform? you can see all the transactions and uh that kind of hurts me because people can see i bought it for like 80 bucks and they're gonna be like well why the hell would i give you 1300 well i mean who cares like go see what people are paying for other assets of similar quality and then just base your idea based on that and say hey look this sold for this sold for one eth over here and it was pretty much the same thing um fork over the money or go away Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i'll end up doing probably because she is of the the rarest bloodline and um uh she is a really low z z number which makes no sense to anyone but essentially that's how close she is to the original minted horses that they did i don't know years ago when this started so they only minted i don't know i think it was like six thousand horses and that's all they're ever minting ever and then every other horse is bred from those original 6,000 minted horses. And um, so all of them carry a Z number of one. So there's Z1. My horse is a Z8, which essentially they add together the mom's Z number and the dad's Z number when they breed, which means my horse's parents were, I think, a Z5 and a Z3, which is extremely close to the originally minted horses, which raises the value because 
it, I mean, it can go up to Z a thousand. This is like a lot for someone who has no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, essentially, it's really close to the originally minted horses, which is good because if you think about it, you want a you want something at the source. You don't want reproduced goods. I meant like what, if you, what the platform actually is, like what yeah. it's called. You what if you brought together the worst of the first six thousand, and that's what your horse is? <laughs> I mean, that that could be. Uh, it could be a reality. Oh, all right. My point was that this is a platform called Zed Run, Z-E-D-D Run, which is one of the sort of gamified versions of an NFT project. So if you want to go check it out, I, it's really interesting, I think. And it's another one of those, hey, we created a market. Um, come figure it out. And people came and people figured it out. And it's it's a really cool theory. And they're airdropping their own token here soon. Uh, before the end of this quarter, they just released a newsletter about their token here. And uh, so if you're a user and you have a stable or at least one horse and you, you frequently use it, they're going to airdrop uh, their tokens out to everyone as soon as they release based on your activity, how many horses you have, how long you've been with them. So I'll at least get one token. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. In layman's terms, an airdrop in the NFT DeFi world is essentially a dividend of shares not of dollars but it's a dividend of shares in a company paid out to you even if you didn't own any shares individually but you were a buyer of their goods think of it that way yep and since i have two horses and i've been pretty uh uh i don't know pretty active in the community recently i'm hoping i get a good bit of their token i think i'd be very happy about that because of those bunch of users that means we make money you make money. Exactly. It's your money. You put it up to I risk. I don't even want to spend the tokens. I'd probably sit on them. Convert the heck out of them to Bitcoin. Yeah. All right. Well, since we're still in this vein, I wanted to ask, does the Super Bowl have anything to do with the new... All right. Never mind. Hold on. We got to preface this first. I was almost right. And we're not going to know if I was fully right until about a month or so. So I've been saying this since... The last big crypto cycle, which was in October, where everything boomed and all went up and everyone went crazy. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just did nothing because we entered the holiday season. So as soon as it ended around November-ish, we're closing on Thanksgiving. I said, all right, this is the time to start buying these assets up and to go back into it. I'm calling it right now. The next cycle is going to be in March. That's what I've been saying for the longest time. Past week or so, we've begun to see the resurgence of the crypto market. And I'm kind of I'm kind of happy about it. I was like, ah, this means it's super predictable, but it's February, not March. So I don't know. I plan to ride it out and we'll see what happens. But my one of my points was the Super Bowl is inevitably going to have a ton of ads from the crypto companies. Like there's just no way they don't. All the athletes and all the celebrities are so tied into this world and they love it. So does the Super Bowl itself have anything to do with the new cryptocurrency cycle that we're seeing? I was going to say in, in along that vein, I think it does have a, at least some type of relationship to it because in, in, on one hand, you have all the ads, like you said. I mean, I'm sure it's inevitable we're going to see X amount of ads for uh, anything related to the crypto markets and NFTs and anything along those lines. But also, I don't know if you saw the NFL announced uh, this week, or I believe it was late last week, that they are providing Super Bowl attendees with customized NFTs in the form of virtual tickets featuring their section row and seat number. And uh, they're doing this in partnership with Ticketmaster. And uh, they will also release a series of historic commemorative NFTs each day in the week leading up to the game on February 13th. We called this. Wild. We called this like three months ago. What? We, we, we called it. All three of us did. Yeah. 
Yep, and game day itself will bring the release of an NFT featuring the Super Bowl ticket artwork designed by a local Southern California-based artist. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. They don't need to flood it like that. They basically just need to sell the tickets as it and move on. That's, that's, we, we called this like a month and a half ago. We literally said the use case for NFTs is to sell them as tickets to concerts and football games and stuff like that. That makes perfect sense because then you just verify with a wallet. That's the point of the blockchain is verifiable transactions, smart contracts, etc. Man, scalpers I, with fake tickets. Yeah, it's exact. I'm, I'm kind of excited that we've called like two things in a row. This is really good. This is this is yeah, good. I, I think the market's going up with it because the NFL doing this is essentially forcing a large segment of the population that probably didn't have a whole lot of knowledge around this world to begin with to kind of get involved because if they're going to say hey you're getting an nft with your super bowl ticket congratulations now all of a sudden you're involved and you're invested in this community so obviously you're going to do some research and figure out what the hell i just got given to me by the nfl yeah I, i'm going to bet you right now 50 percent of people who watch nfl in the united states have no clue and do not want a crypto wallet there's just no way they're old and they don't care I think 50% is a generous number. <laughs> really? Oh, man. I would have put it almost at more. Because, I mean, think, just think of the age groups. I was going to say, I think 50, like, I don't know, 50% of the people that actually use it, like, I feel like that's a lot. But, like, that, like there's at least 50% that are, like, totally not going to be about it. I feel like anybody over the age of 40 is like, I don't care. And that's the prime market for the people that are going to be going to the Super Bowl Yeah, is people yeah. in their 40s and above. I agree with that. 40s and above, and it's going to be, like, half of the 30 year olds because no maybe probably more than half the 30 year olds and then the 20 year olds are all going to be completely hit or miss and under 20 you probably know what an nft is at this point you're smart so what happens to all those unclaimed nfts then is that going to raise the floor price of the ones that actually do get claimed no it's oversupply right i mean all you have to do is just open it up to the public and then everyone can buy them and then we just let the open market decide the price hmm I don't know. I'll bet Cuban buys up a ton. <laughs> he does that and then resells them. <laughs> I would, dude. That's yeah. It's going to be, I mean, I can just see it now in 20 or 30 years. It'll be just like the people that kept their Super Bowl five tickets. Yeah. It'll be like, I have the very first. Imagine if you said to me right now, you had the very first, you had a ticket from the very first Super Bowl, a Super Bowl one ticket. Yeah, and you if could you sell that at that, Sotheby's. I would be amazed. Yeah. So imagine being the person who has the first ever NFT Super Bowl ticket. Yeah, I agree with that. It sounds insane today. I think it's going to sound, inc- I think it's going to be like a huge thing 20 years from now. And you might be saying, you know, 20 years for an IRR of what is going to not make it make sense for me, but. I, at the baseline, it's just fun. God, is it so fun. <laughs> it's so cool. It's the emergence of an entirely new market. I mean, how many times does this happen? Yeah, there's another article I wrote is that you might as well just be on this train. It's it's fun and there's stuff happening. And remember in the early 2000s when the internet seemed like, oh, this is cute. And then remember in the 2010 to 17 era where social media was like, oh, this is cute. And I, those things are not going away. They've only been built upon. This is the exact, it's, it's just the new thing. It's, it is what it is. Uh, gets me very, it gets me too excited. All right, Matt, I want you to tell me about this next article you have. If you guys are cool to move on for Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Just trying to be mindful of time. All right, yeah, so Chain Estate Dow, go for it. Okay, so Chain Estate Dow is one of those crypto groups where essentially they band together and people buy things. It's kind of a similar thing where they're trying to buy the Constitution forever ago. Well, in this case, basically 3% of all the transaction fees via this DAO are they're pooled together and they're used to buy real estate 
that the members then vote on and 100% of the cash flow from these properties is distributed to the NFT holders of the real estate or also partial owners of the properties. And this is pretty much a direct quote from their site. And just trying to read through that, I'm about to have an aneurysm. <laughs> it's really confusing. It doesn't make sense. And as I was telling uh, John pre-show, it really feels like we're trying to reinvent the wheel in a lot of cases in the crypto world here and do things that don't necessarily need to be brought into this meta finance world. Like just do this in traditional finance, which it's already done in the real world. You don't need to involve all this extra stuff. You don't need to involve NFTs or gas fees or any of that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's like a total shift of gear. I'm super bullish on the sell tickets as NFTs. It makes sense, verifiable transactions. I think you've just, right here, you're exactly right. You've recreated an ETF or a, like a REIT. Basically. You've, yeah, you've recreated a REIT essentially. And the other thing that comes to mind, so a DAO, the purpose of a DAO, which is a decentralized I, whatever organization, I, I forget what the A is, but regardless, the whole point is to pool together as many people as possible and purchase or make some transaction happen that no one could put together alone. None of these, I would be willing to bet very few of these people understand how to actually put a real estate deal together. And they don't, they don't understand to buy a piece of property, you have to pick up the phone and call someone. You can't, just, you can't just click a button and put an offer on. It doesn't work that way unless you're going to auction through like 10X. It's going to work that way, I'm telling you, in five years. I'd swear on that. But it, is, it does not work like that today. So, yeah. No, I'm with you. It's kind of a goofy idea. Yeah, it just seems like a waste of time, a waste of energy. It's going to be one of those things. We're, we're in the crypto boom. It'll, it'll pop and these things will go away and the real uses will stick around. Yeah, it's just the internet bubble all over again. Write.com and your name and your valuation goes up $5 million. Write DAO and then all of a sudden you've got a SPAC. Yeah. Technically, we have a DAO, right? Isn't that right, Joey? I'd say so. No, yeah. we, we do actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work like how those other ones work. It's just it's a new way to vote and to make transactions happen. It's gonna be so interesting in the future. I I, would, I also would love to write like an explain it to me like I'm five for DAOs and go super deep into how this could actually be used and how it could replace a lot of public equity transactions that just don't need to be as complicated. But that would take so much time, and I'm not ready for it. <laughs> In the future, we may be voting for elections via DAOs. Yeah. Everybody distributed one token based off the census or whatever, and then you go online to OpenSea and click your vote for president. Well, the only <laughs> issue is... Elections. Yeah, the only it's issue not a terrible could... idea, given all the people complaining about you know election fraud and voter fraud. I mean, the blockchain solves all that. Yeah, but you can transfer. You have to make it so that you can't transfer it. That's the issue. Yeah. And that you have to, you have to verify it somehow with like a birth certificate or something. So say, would you just, would people just start selling their votes? I'd post my, That's my exactly vote what I would for think. Uh, 2024 election. And someone would buy it for like, I don't know how much money a vote could be worth, but a lot. Yeah. And then PACs would go out and like purchase votes with massive funds of money. And they'd be like, we'll buy your vote for 5,000 bucks. Who's going to say no to that? That's a nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just have... Whoever has the most money gets to decide the president because they buy up all the votes. Yeah. Sorry, never mind. Take it back. I take it back. Not a good idea. And then Michael Bloomberg runs the country and we're all like, how did this happen? <laughs> you get in the really weird Twitter spaces. There's plenty of people that already say that occurs. And Bill Gates buying the election and all that weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. In, in, the, in an effort to avoid politics, yes. Go explore the weird areas of Twitter and the conspiracy theories. It's so much fun. It, it's so entertaining. 
but take it all with a grain of salt, please. These people are crazy and they'll have neck beards. Tinfoil hats. Yeah, yeah, tinfoil hats and neck beards. Okay, all right. So let's, uh, all right, let's run through car stuff real quick. That's a quick conversation. I want to do the Florida, not Florida man of the day, and then let's wrap up. Does that sound good? Perfect. Sounds like a plan. All right. We've talked about Lucid a lot. I like Lucid as a company, which is they, they, they're like the new hot electric car company. And it took them a little bit to kind of figure themselves out. But as they've officially released their vehicles, they're on the road. They're getting the reviews. People love their cars. You're sitting there thinking, all right, so what are you going to do? Like, are you going to be a Tesla? Because Tesla's positioned themselves as, one, we're the first. Two, we offer the cheapest, most affordable, but the it, it is the epitome of a value, it's like a best value offering. It is the best car for your money that is still electric. But they also have the plaid of the Model S plaid up top, which is a thousand horsepower or something or other that can outrace anything. So Tesla's kind of their own little planet and you can't really touch them. So if you're going to compete in the electric vehicles position, where do you go? I think they're taking on Mercedes and I love it. I think Mercedes is an old style company that is going to be so late on this and they're only going to have the EQS and they're maybe going to release like an SUV or something and they're going to try to overdo it and it's going to be goofy and it's going to be so expensive that no one can touch it. Lucid and companies like Karma are going to come in and pretty much steal away the old company's shares of the market. And they're going to say, no, no, no. If you wanted to go buy an electric Mercedes S-Class, why would you do that when for a little bit less money, you can have this hot, sexy, new Lucid Air, which is one, faster, two, can go further, and three, no one else has one. Mercedes is just going to buy them. That's a good point. Damn it. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> yeah, but right now. Daddy's going to come in with his big wallet and just <laughs> smack him upside the head and be like, you're mine now. <laughs> no, it's, what's the, what's the, what's the big group? Daimler, uh, MG or something like that that owns all them? Isn't, yep. that, isn't that right? I think so. Yeah, they own a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, you're, I, maybe. Yeah, but they're not going to associate and they're going to try to change it. That's probably right. I don't know. I thought it was a really cool thought and I kind of hope it happens because we've been hot on Lucid for like, what, eight months now, nine months? We've been talking about this company for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. And the other one I want to bring to you guys is electric motorcycles are finally catching traction, I think. So I found a company called Zero Motorcycles. And I'm going to look it up to see if we can link something in the show notes. But I mean, they don't, they don't look stupid. Like that's pretty much the biggest criteria for an electric motorcycle is just don't make it look stupid. Cause they all kind of try to overdo everything. These things are hot. They're just super simple and cool. And it makes me excited because I mean, as much power and as dangerous as motorcycles can be, if you take away a little bit of the, a little bit of the complication, I think it goes a long ways and it makes it more viable for more people. And I love motorcycles. I'm surprised that Ducati hasn't jumped into it. Like obviously, big Italian group, kind of like Ferrari, but of motorcycles. But it feels like their styling and their market of people would be the most willing to jump over into an electric motorcycle. I'll bet they've already started. I'll bet. I'm willing. All right, I'm gonna go on record here. I'll bet we see an electric Ducati in the next. I want to eight months. Call it right now. Eight months. Because like Harley already has one out, and that's Harley. That's like <laughs> neck beards and big men with beer guts and leather jackets. Yeah, but no, I actually disagree with that. Harley's completely repositioned themselves in the last few years. They are like top of the line, beautiful motorcycles now. I think maybe your point of view is starting to change there. 
it's but possible. They have done some new things. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like they have. Like, if you've ever kind of explored their offerings, a bunch of bikes that don't look like Harley's are Harley's, and you're like, "What the heck is that? That looks like a hot, sporty little bike." And you're like, "No, no, no. That is a uh, that is that is a cigar riding um, leather just leather vest wearing Harley." Yeah, well, they they got a lot into like the cafe racer type market where they're making smaller motorbikes for like like inner cities and that type of thing, not necessarily the big giant uh, Harley rods and that type of thing or street glides, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, they definitely have done a lot more in like branching out from what they were. But I also think that like it, it's kind of funny when you see a company like them who is kind of somewhat stuck in the pre two thousands even with their vehicles that like they're out beating some of the ones that are like top of the line. Yeah, them and Ford have really stepped up. <laughs> These zeros are already on the market. Yeah, they are. You can go buy one. I don't know if they're expensive. I'm, I actually didn't look. I'm tempted to purchase one. How much are they? $11,000 for uh, their lower end models. If you want the high end, uh, you're looking closer to 20000 That's not absurd for a high-end motorcycle, especially not now. 11000 is very reasonable. Well, I mean, you can go get a new Kawasaki Ninja for like five, I think, but it's beside the point. (laughs) I mean, what what does it plug into? Like, does it just like any 12-volt? Or, uh, yeah, or what am I thinking of? 120, something like that? Like, just basically like a wall charger? Um, that I have not learned yet. All right. Well, I'll plug their website in the show notes so that we can have anyone who's interested look at it. I think it's always really cool. And it's, you know, this is one of those where technology is meeting something that has been outdated, arguably outdated for a long time and making it better, which makes me excited. Oh, it looks like they sent me a message on their website. No, I'm not interested. Thank you, Mr. Bot. But I don't want to promise this because i'm just looking off of like a little list on their website but i think their motorcycles are automatic yeah yeah you can't have gears in a uh, electric motor well you can i guess technically going to overcomplicate it but yeah yeah every, every other motorcycle is a manual i mean if you know motorcycles they're mostly manual i think all of them it's pretty but it says yeah top 15 one. things you'll never you'll never do again buy gas replace clutch sink throttle and idle speed change engine oil filter Lubricate choke cables, change engine oil, change air filter, adjust valve clearance, check engine oil, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it sounds like this is the way to go. Yeah, so the only thing I'm envisioning right now, unfortunately, is you're going to get someone riding one of these, and they're going to have, like, those stupid Tesla-style license plates, and it's going to say no clutch. I'm going to be like, ugh. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yep, I can see it now. It's going to happen. Oh, man. we need, I need to make a thread at some point of just really cringy Tesla license plates. They get me. I swear I see one every week. I might be uh, off the Tesla train and onto the Zero train. Yeah, but you won't be able to ride that in the wintertime. I know. I have to move south. Yeah. <laughs> you have to join the rest of the world that's moving to Florida. <laughs> okay. Hey, Maddie sent me a really nice house the other day in South Carolina. I was like, let's move. And I was like, that's it. It was a beautiful house. and It was actually realistic. I so know. we got people in South Carolina. We can get you hooked up there. I was, I was interested. I could be a potential in the next couple of years. The only stipulation is her father has to come with us because she can't live away from her father. <laughs> All right. Well, Joey's Joey's family drama. <laughs> yes. Okay. Ugh. Let's do a uh, Matt. This is you. You got the the Florida not Florida man of the day, which is uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> 
So this one's a, a little shout out to Joey and his people up there in Pennsylvania. Keeping it real. But in news that should have occurred in Florida, but actually occurred with his people, a 40-person brawl occurred in a golden corral in Pennsylvania after they ran out of steak. So I'm just picturing who starts this. Like, who throws the first punch? The Amish guy. That's what it was. Yeah, it's exactly right. Punch. I come here, the one thing I have every year that's technologically advanced is my steak at Golden Corral. <laughs> I'm upset. <laughs> hey, people take their food seriously at Golden Corrals. I've actually, I've only ever been to a Golden Corral once, and I hated every second of it. The food was disgusting. Uh, sorry if I offend any Golden Corral fans out there, but I can definitely see how you show up and you pay the price for a Golden Corral buffet, and all you wanted was a nice steak. And uh, and there are no stakes. It's an adult uh, cafeteria. Yeah, it can result in uh, some pretty nasty confrontations, I suppose. But my myself, I would never go back to another Golden Corral. If it said Waffle House, I would not believe you. I would have said this had to have happened in Florida. Oh. <laughs> it, Dude, it's happened in Florida. It just wasn't newsworthy if it happened in Florida. I don't think you can fit 40 people in a Waffle House, to be fair. So I think if you get in a college town after about midnight, they'll take that challenge up. You get enough uh, enough grease in there, and you can fit you can fit fifty, sixty people in that Waffle House. <laughs> all right, all right. I think that wraps us up. That was good, good hour or so. All right, anything else you guys want to do? Nope. Okay. I think that hits it all. Yeah. Fantastic. Then that wraps us up. I think we are good, and we shall see you guys on Friday per usual. Yep. See you Friday. See you Friday.